Good evening. Please do take a seat. If we haven't met before, uh, my name is Ken Matthews, and I'm the senior minister here at St. Joseph's. And as David said earlier on, we're uh, thinking this evening about doubt and faith. And our tour guide today is the person of Thomas, or Doubting Thomas, as he's often known. Uh, I think this passage um, of uh, yeah, John's Gospel that Newton uh, read to us earlier on from John 20 is included in the Bible to make us aware of two things. I think it's two things God wants us to know by sticking this passage in here. One, that he's not taken by surprise when we doubt. He knows we doubt. And two, to give us a model of how to handle it if and when those doubts come along. I mean, let's be honest, we, we all doubt, don't we? Not least when we understand, fully understand what the Christian faith is and what it's calling us to do. I think um, when we're like that, we, uh, we kind of like the crowd at uh, Niagara Falls. The very first time they were crossed by the famous tightrope walker, Charles Blondin, back in the late 1800s. Uh, a crowd of about... Uh, 25,000 apparently turned up uh, to watch this and they just were absolutely gobsmacked and, and just kind of went crazy um, going, yeah, hooray, well done, you know, amazing, you're the, you're the guy. Uh, and so he came back later on um, with a little stove which he walked out onto the middle of the tightrope with, <laughs> put it down and he lit it and he cooked an omelette and then he ate it. And the camera crowd would just go nuts again. Oh, yeah, you're the guy, you're the man. Um, and so he came back a little while later with a, a, a metal wheelbarrow and he wheeled it out across to the Canadian side and then back across to the US side. And they were going, yeehaw, you know, because they were Americans. So, you know, they had to, had to go like that. They were, they're just absolutely loving it again. So, so Blondin goes, <laughs> you, like, you like that? Well, who thinks, you know, I could, I could wheel some, a person in the wheelbarrow across the other side? And they're like, of course you could do that. I don't think there's anything you couldn't do. We believe in you. And so Blondin went, well, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow then? Oh. Oh, uh, um, no, no, I don't, don't think so. Now, you might have heard that story um, before, as an example of what faith actually is. <laughs> but you see, Jesus doesn't call us to have faith in him theoretically so that we turn up on Sundays and we, and we say some creeds together and sing some songs uh, just so that we can applaud from a distance and go, wow, Jesus, do the omelette thing again. No, no, Jesus showed up to get us in the wheelbarrow and to follow him from life to death and through death to life again. <laughs> and if we're going to do that, then that involves putting our whole being, giving our whole being, heart and mind and strength and soul in Jesus' hands. And so when Jesus says to us, deny yourself and take up your cross and come, follow me, and we say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Even though he's way more trustworthy, way more trustworthy, even than the greatest tightrope walker in all of history, walking faithfully with him isn't always straightforward. And so we're bound to have some wobbles from time to time. You see, doubt is inevitable. 
There's not something wrong with you if you doubt. It's part of the human condition. Now, you may say, no, 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 my, my faith is strong. You know, I will never have to kind of wrestle with doubt. But look in the Bible at some of the so-called heroes of the faith. They all wrestled with doubt in one way or another. Even our boy John the Baptist had a crisis of doubt. He who was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, who was raised with a profound sense of God's call on his life and, and, and a sense of purpose in his name, who acted as a forerunner to Jesus, even baptizing him. And, and as, he, as he did that, hearing a voice from heaven declare, that, declare from God that, that this was indeed his holy chosen one. Jesus himself actually said that amongst the community of faith, no one had yet been born who was greater than John. So he, he knew it intellectually. He knew all the answers. Yet when he's thrown in prison, simply for being obedient to Jesus and preaching his name, he, he, with his life on the line, he sends out an SOS to Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. He goes, Jesus, are you really the one? And he's not alone, is he? At some point or another, everybody doubts. If you haven't had a period of doubt yet, then you've got a future date with doubt. It's a blind date. You don't know when it's going to come, but it's coming. Sometimes our doubt is rooted in ignorance. You simply haven't heard something. You, you haven't been taught. You don't know that there are, out, there are answers out there to certain questions that you have. So you read bits of the Bible that you don't yet understanding, you go, you're telling me to read the Bible in order to strengthen my faith. <laughs> I read the Bible and it shakes my faith. There are some pretty gnarly and uncomfortable things in the Bible, if we're honest. Other times our doubt can be very natural. In fact, in some ways, healthy. As a young person comes to grips with what they've been taught all their life and they wonder, is this really true? Do I really believe this? Is this really my faith? But sometimes we don't move beyond that. We don't grow up in our faith and, and we're naive in our faith. We're not so much childlike but childish. As we take all of our longings and our hopes and we project them onto God in the hope that he will be the genie in the bottle and grant us all our wishes. And God is really open to doing that because he's so kind. But for our good and his glory, he won't just give us what we wish. And when that happens, that can be really uncomfortable and unsettling. And I think that's where a lot of our doubts come from. Our own personal circumstances and expectations and false perspectives on life. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought my child would get better. I thought my parents' marriage would make it. I thought my marriage would make it. I thought people in the church family would be kinder, more generous. I thought pastor so-and-so would never fail, but... 
There are loads more of those out there, aren't there? Maybe in our heads and in our hearts. Things that we struggled with, wrestled with. So it's no wonder John Ortberg says this. He says, scratch the surface of any cynic and you will find a wounded idealist underneath. Our very lives and expectations are shaken by doubt. And that can be really difficult to move on through and to handle. So what do we do with our doubts? What should we do with our doubts when they come? Firstly, I want to say wrestle with, wrestle with your doubt. Wrestle through your doubt. Look at what Thomas shows us. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, we don't know why Thomas wasn't with the other disciples a week before, on Easter Sunday when Jesus rose. Maybe he had slept in. Maybe he had had a hairdressing appointment. Maybe there's something really good on telly. But when he does finally show up, he doesn't have a grid with which to move through this new reality the other guys were telling him about. So he has to wrestle with it. I've been told that psychologists have this little term, spiritual bypassing. If you're a psychologist here, I hope that I'm getting this right tonight. But spiritual bypassing is the tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. And so if we're tempted to say at all, well, yes, I've got some doubts, but I don't need to deal with the things that have happened in my past or the questions that I've got, because God is good, and he'll just fix everything, and it's all fine. That's spiritual bypassing, I think. Try to suppress the issues and just hope everything will be okay. Because we don't operate out of what we wish. We operate out of what or who we are. So I think it's right when author Eugene Peterson says this. The reason many of us do not ardently believe in the gospel is that we've never given it a rigorous testing, thrown our hard questions at it, Face it with our most prickly doubts. Folks, there is no road to spiritual maturity that does not walk straight through doubt. We may not be experiencing much in the way of doubt at the moment, but when your faith does hit a speed bump, if it's going to be real, if it's going to be deep, if it's going to be robust, robust enough to last, then we're going to have to wrestle through it We can't go around it. So secondly, be honest. Be honest about your doubt. I mean, Thomas is brutally honest, isn't he? (laughs) He's there with the disciples. They're all kind of, yeah, we've seen the Lord. You know, he is risen. Come on, join in, Thomas. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. But Thomas is like, nah, I ain't buying it. He doesn't hold back. And, 
And we want to be like that in church too, here, don't we? We want to be honest, particularly in places where it's reappropriate to kind of, we've got to be careful about where we share those places. I'll say that again. We've got to be careful in terms of those places where we open up and be honest. So in our small groups, in that safe space, that environment there, that's a great place. We want honesty in those small groups, whatever group you're in. Or in our one-to-one relationships with people we know really well. But I think sometimes we're really willing to be honest about all kinds of things with our brothers and sisters in church. But when it comes to doubt, alongside sexual sin, I think this is one thing that we often just want to keep to ourselves. For fear that our brothers and sisters will be horrified at what we're thinking if we share with them. And maybe even shun us and ostracize us. As if doubt is some unacceptable, unforgivable sin. But folks, if that was to happen, if we were to do that to one another, it would be to ignore the clear instruction in the Bible given in the book of Jude to have mercy, to be kind and gentle, to move towards those who doubt. For we need to understand that doubt is not the opposite of belief. It rather is a state of mind that is wavering to some degree or another between belief and unbelief. You see, Thomas hasn't abandoned his belief. No, 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 not for a minute. He's saying, I I believed in Jesus enough. to pack up, give up everything, and go follow him for three years. I believed that he was the son of God, God in human flesh, come to be with us. The things he did, they're amazing. I also believe he died. And, and, and so, if you're giving me a script for my future that has no plausibility structure to it, and you're asking me, to go all in on that and continue to follow Jesus, then I'm going to need some proof. Which, after all, is exactly what the other disciples had had the week before, hadn't they? They'd got to see the nail marks in Jesus' hands, to see the spear mark in his side. What Thomas is asking for isn't unreasonable here. But notice, Thomas doesn't say, there is nothing that you can say to me that would convince me. We've got to be clear that there are some people who doubt, but there are others who go way beyond that and are simply stirrers or dissenters. For sometimes we convince ourselves or others, well, I'm just a seeker or a researcher. Um, I, I don't just accept pat answers like other people do. Well, okay, maybe. But are you really open to finding? And if you find the answers to your questions, will you get in the wheelbarrow? Thomas is not convinced. He wants evidence. He won't simply believe just because all of his friends are believing. But he hasn't closed the door to Jesus and obedience to his teaching. He said, if I see it, I'll believe it. And that's really important. 
Because if there's nothing that could change your mind or bring you to faith or lead you to give church another chance, then you're not an agnostic. You're not a doubter. You are an unbeliever. You've made up your mind. And that's not to say that God couldn't reach you there. But it explains why Jude goes on in his letter to say, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Because while we don't want to treat doubt as a vice, there are some who will treat it as a virtue, idolizing uncertainty to the point of eroding truth and setting course down a runway into immorality and unbelief and even trying to drag others with them. So we need to be really, really careful, even fearful in terms of how we engage with with people or or other churches like that. (laughs) In fact, Jude says, you approach them like you would soiled underwear that you're picking up off the floor. Seriously, that's... That's what he's he's talking about in terms of these garments, these stained garments here. And he's not just doing that to shock us. He's doing that to make sure that we will not be naive. But for all who are genuinely seeking, like Thomas, thirdly, stay in the room. As we read in verse 26, eight days later, his, Jesus' disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. So he hasn't ditched them. They haven't ditched him. Maybe you have a close friend who's going through a really difficult, painful season of doubt at the moment. Don't drop him. Don't drop her. Stay in the room. Maybe you're the one. And it feels like you come to church here and everyone around you is on fire for the Lord, but you're just not feeling it anymore. That can be a really uncomfortable, difficult place to be. But don't, don't leave. Keep showing up. Not least because we live in a culture of doubt. It's called secularism. And it's deliberate intention is to eliminate or the very, at the very least minimize faith from the public consciousness. So you don't have people out there in the culture saying, hey, hey folks, you've been bombarded all week long with non-Christian messages, so come on, give yourself a chance. Make sure you get to church this weekend so that you can balance things out a bit. In fact, better than that. You know, why don't you, through the week, just make sure you take yourself away, get some time, get some space to care for your soul? I mean, it's a busy, busy world we're in. Make sure you get some time to nourish your soul with the Word of God so that you can put down roots in Jesus, abide in Him, and bear much fruit. Folks, that kind of messaging doesn't exist out there. It only exists in here. And so if you drop out of your small group and pull back from coming on Sundays, the culture will only give you one side of the story, which you're getting anyway. So don't run away. 
Stay in the room. And like Thomas, give yourself a fighting chance of getting the answers you seek. Because what happens next? Jesus shows up and gives Thomas what he needs for the rest of his journey. Verse 26, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I love that. That's so great. In your confusion, in your disorientation, in the chaos and the uncertainty about your future, Jesus says, peace be with you. I think that's a brilliant model for us of what it, what it means to show mercy to those who doubt. Jesus is so kind and generous to us in our doubt. But he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to move through our doubt and be strengthened in faith. So he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. A little bit of a gruesome thought, isn't it? But he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And what's Thomas's response? He, he doesn't say, oh, fantastic. <laughs> Great, now I can remain theologically orthodox. No, he goes from doubt to awestruck Worship in a moment. He says, my Lord and my God. He sees Jesus. He sees him as he truly is. And he's the first person in the Gospel of John to directly acknowledge Jesus as God. But he only really sees him the other side of doubt. Not before. This moment of Realization, this revelation of my Lord and my God, it only comes after wrestling through doubt. And ultimately, I believe that that is what Jesus wants for you too. That may not come to you in your timing. It may not come to you in a way that totally makes sense of your current moment. And though I think we would really like it, if it happened just like it does for Thomas, we could see it physically, it won't. It definitely won't. As Jesus says to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The period of seeing and believing is over. We now live in the period of believing without seeing. And in our cultural environment like the one that we live in at the moment isn't that sometimes what makes it so hard to believe but Jesus sorry but John tells us that what he's written in his gospel is more than enough more than enough so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and get in the wheelbarrow and put your trust in him and in doing so have life in his name. That's why I'm a big believer in going back time and time again to reading the Gospels. And don't get me wrong, I believe all of the Bible is God's word. And it's so, if it's God's word, it's Jesus' word too. 
I've got to tell you, if you haven't read a gospel for a while, then you're probably living off what you remember about the gospels rather than what it actually says. So if you're on a Bible reading plan that doesn't include the gospels at the moment, change your plan. To fight doubt, you need the comfort and confrontation of the person of Jesus as often as you can get it. And if you're here tonight and you're just looking into the Christian faith for yourself, can I just say it's great you're here, but can I encourage you to pick up a copy of one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John, this is Luke, and these uh, Gospels are on the black display racks on your way out, you can grab one of them, they're free. Better still, grab one, take home, read it yourself, but also, why not hitch up and meet up with someone who you know is a Christian here at church, someone who can help you understand it better, talk it through with you. Our doubt can be the product of hundreds of little choices in our lives. But I think often it starts with drifting away from taking seriously the invitation to meet Jesus in his word as he walks off the pages of scripture. I mean, most of the time, let's be honest, our focus is on ourselves, our own lives, our own struggles, our sin and our selfishness and our doubt. So much so that if we do actually get in the wheelbarrow, we spend a lot of our time just looking around, going, oh, this this wheelbarrow feels a little bit rickety. And that drop, eek, it's a long way down. And man, that that rope, that wire, it's, it's thin, it's really, I know Jesus said, to follow him we'd have to walk the narrow road but but that's ridiculous rather than looking up and seeing the one who is pushing us you see we can sometimes think my faith is strong if I feel like it's true no our faith is strong if Jesus is holding us So take time, make time to focus on him, to to gaze on him, to talk to him, to listen to him, and he will pull you through. So, Thomas, the doubter. I think there's a pretty good chance that many of us here, at some point in the future, will meet Thomas. But when you do, (laughs) can I say to you, please, don't go up to him and go, Tommy boy, maybe that wouldn't be your form of address, maybe you might be more formal than that, but Tommy boy, that was quite a little episode you had, my doubting friend. No. That would be really unfair, because this is just one incident in his life. But it's not Thomas's destiny. Do you know what happened to Thomas? According to church tradition, Thomas is one of the apostles who hears Jesus' call to go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he goes to India. He is the first and only apostle to go outside of the Roman Empire. So you can now go to parts of southern India and you can meet lots of people who are named Thomas or their second name is Thomas. And much more importantly than that, 
They are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Thomas believed and was faithful and followed Jesus to the ends of the earth. So here's the truth about Thomas. He's not a doubter. He doubted. But the Lord pulled him through and by his spirit filled him with faith in Jesus. So wherever you are tonight in your journey, I want you to know that is God's heart for you. Faith, real faith, true faith, serving faith, deep faith, persevering faith. And that by believing, you may have life in his name, in Jesus' name. Let me pray that through for us. Let's pray. <clears throat> so, Father, we give you thanks for this, your word, which leads us to Jesus. And we pray that you would give us the gift of faith to believe. <laughs> oh, please have mercy on anyone here tonight who is doubting, who has honest doubts, real struggles, real honest hurts and questions. May this evening be for them an upper room experience of your peace coming and dwelling in their hearts and minds. And may we as a church family be kind, tender, gentle and merciful to one another. Fix our eyes on Jesus that he would lead us to safer, firmer ground. We say to you, Jesus, strengthen our faith in your kindness and mercy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.